might have drugs in your pocket, and the government might have paid for them. These days, that's how we roll. Uh, but would you not want to know if your kid was getting access to fentanyl? Let's say they have fentanyl in their pocket, paid by the government through Safe Supply. Would you want to know? I mean, never. I, I asked that question, uh, you know, keeping in mind the lunacy of even offering it to youth at all. But yeah, the BC government's deciding that parents will not have any say in the matter. They will not be told if they're young, it's not kids, I don't think it's children, but kids go to Safe Supply to get fentanyl. Uh, and the only reason we're learning about this is because my next guest was actually alerted by two concerned addiction doctors uh, who felt this went way too far. And BC is going to defend that often youth are in foster care or estranged from parents and need act, you know, access to addiction services. But, you know, we've seen evidence with the current supply where drug dealer, dealers are gaming the system of safe supply and selling it to new audiences, going into the schools. I mean, I think it's crazy enough that we're handing out things like heroin. But why on earth would we risk giving any young person access to fentanyl and, and cutting parental rights out of it? It's just, it seems like lunacy. But hello, welcome to Canada 2023. We bring in Adam Zivo, columnist with the National Post, who has been writing about this and is the reason I'm talking about this to you. Morning, Adam. Good morning. How are you today? Well, you know, I saw the, the headline of this, and I mean, I know BC does a lot of crazy kind of things, but I thought, geez, really? Fentanyl? It, it's, it's a lot, <laughs> um, and it, it, it's shocking. Look, I mean, I wrote an extended report about this for the McDonald Laurier Institute, and there is potentially a responsible way to use safer supply fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, sorry. No, sorry. You're, you're probably, I know the life of, uh, yeah, sorry. There, there is, there is a potential way to use safer supply fentanyl responsibly if it's highly controlled, uh, but only for adults, right. And only in a very controlled setting. And what we're seeing with the VC guidelines is that it allows for a very uncontrolled provision of fentanyl tablets to youth, which I think is ludicrous. Well, yeah, that's being polite. Um, and again, yeah. they're assuming, I guess, um, you know, with their defense of this, is that it's only going to go to people that have addictions and are in youth uh, kind of vulnerable situation. Well, not all kids are in that situation. And a lot of kids just want to try stuff. And hey, if you're going to offer it free and give, it, you know, give me access, I'll try it, right? That's what they'll do. Well, the problem here, so there, there's two ways to look at it. So the first question here is, are youth capable of giving consent to receive safer supply fentanyl, right? Um, because I mean, the, the, the oxymoron, I mean, like we're calling fentanyl safe, like we're luring it in, in, well, it's safe. No drug is safe, period, right? That's the thing, right? Like no drug is safe. Uh, yes, getting fentanyl from a doctor is relatively safer than buying it on the street because you know that it's not contaminated with benzodiazepines or xylazine and you know what quantity you're getting. But at the same time, calling it safe is deeply misleading. It's still fentanyl. It's still mm -hmm. a horribly addicting drug that will destroy your life. So it is obscene that the government is interested in giving it to youth, um, and it's misguided. They're saying, well, at least they're not using the street supply, but uh, they're not focusing on the fact that youth should be receiving treatments and they should be shepherded towards recovery, not enabled with fentanyl. Yeah, I, it is, I think, pretty crazy. And, and, and the reason you, as I mentioned, know about this, because doctors, and they have started coming forward to talk, which is good, uh, but they came forward to bring their concerns to you. And, and what were their concerns outside of the obvious? Well, I, I mean, there's a variety of concerns. Uh, I mean, the, these protocols are not just for youth. They're for adults as well. 
Uh, there was complete lack of control, no attempts to deal with diversion, which is the black market resale of safer supply drugs. There was a shocking lack of evidence backing safer supply fentanyl. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read a quote um, from, 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 the, <clears throat> from the protocols. They clearly state, and I'm going to quote directly, to date, there is no evidence available supporting this intervention, safety data, or established best practices for when and how to provide it. In fact, a discussion of the absence of evidence supporting this approach is actually required for securing informed consent from patients, right? So we're giving fentanyl, mm -hmm. quote unquote, safe fentanyl to people, including minors, yeah. without having any evidence that this is actually beneficial or that it can be done safely. Or, or a long-term plan, like let's not get you on fentanyl, let alone let's get you off of it. But it's interesting, and I'll talk to uh, Tom Korsky at 1045, um, he's got a report with, um, you know, documents that surface showing, you know, we've spent $820 million uh, on safe supply and there are very minimal uh, results. So, you know, we're, we're going full into this. Toronto is looking at following all of BC's and I, and I, maybe you can kind of clarify, is this being introduced here in Toronto? Cause I just, I don't understand why we are taking such major, major risks and getting such minimal benefit. Uh, from my understanding, in Ontario, there are some safer supply programs that are giving out fentanyl. I know that in London, Ontario, yeah. uh, people in the neighborhood have said that they know patients or friends who are on safer supply who receive fentanyl. Uh, I don't know the exact guidelines in Ontario, uh, but it seems to be the direction that people are moving in. And it's, I do want to stress It's so crazy to me. <clears throat> well, like, I, I do want to stress that there is a responsible way that you could use fentanyl for safer supply as a tightly controlled intervention used for a limited period of time to help people transition into traditional treatment. Uh, but that's not what we're seeing right now. We're essentially just handing out fentanyl indefinitely right. with supervised consumption, which is grossly irresponsible. Yeah, and I think most people will say, okay, it's one thing to, to treat someone and try to save their lives, but we're not doing anything even to keep fentanyl out of the country. And that's what I think really bothers people is that what are we doing to mitigate and, and, and try to you know keep this stuff out? I mean, it's been pouring into the country thanks to China and all the rest of it. We just don't even try to get rid of it. Well, there's a few different things here. So... When it comes to dealing with addiction, there's something known as a four-pillar approach, right? So there's there's four key elements. You have prevention, you have education, you have harm reduction, and you have enforcement, right? And we've got, gone all in in harm reduction in its most extreme form, and we've abandoned the other pillars, right? So we're not really doing a lot when it comes to prevention. Mm -hmm. and And part of that means that we're not really doing a lot to prevent illicit drugs from flooding into our country, not nearly enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and so of course we're doomed. Of course, there's going to be all this fentanyl flooding the streets and creating addiction. And yet we think that, okay, it's, it's already here. So we may as well just give it more of it for free, which is not solving the problem. It's merely exacerbating the overdose crisis. Right. It's not sustainable. And if we're making the problem worse, what does it look like, let's say, on you know, in five years? I mean, if uh, we have a government change at the federal level, it will be changed because Polyev has already said he'll change it. But if we keep on this trajectory, Adam, and, and there are many who, as you know, firmly believe that this is a solution. But if, you know, Tom's got the data saying, look, we're, we're spending all this money and getting minimal um, results from it, you know, five years from now, what does it, what does this look like if we're already at the fentanyl stage? I mean, it looks like more death. It looks like more misery. In London, Ontario, you've had safer supply there since 2016. 
And I'm actually in the process of working on a story on it. And I've interviewed a number of people who know safer supply patients in the city. And they say that their lives have been destroyed. They're basically just rotting away. They've been on safer supply for years. They can barely speak, barely think. And essentially it's palliative care. It's keeping them slightly more comfortable until they die. And, and I think that that's what we'll continue to see. If we continue to embrace safer supply, we are abandoning drug users to their vices and letting them slowly die. We are enabling their deaths. And, and I don't think that's compassion. And I think it's perverse to frame that as a compassionate response. Boy, oh boy. Well, I know that you um, keep dropping these pieces and uh, they're always uh, kind of jaw-dropping, but certainly, uh, I, I, just before I let you go, Adam, since you're reporting on this, and I know you get a lot of blowback, certainly from the safe supply and the harm reduction crowd, have you seen a significant narrative change with doctors coming forward and speaking to you about this? Absolutely. Doctors used to be scared to criticize safe supply. In one year, that's changed. Now you've had dozens of very well-respected doctors writing public letters to the federal government asking for them to reform safe supply, although they're being ignored. And from my understanding, prescribers in BC are now very reluctant to provide safer supply to their patients because they know how uh, widely the program is abused. And so safer supply avail availability is declining in that province, but now safer supply activists are trying to bypass doctors <laughs> by allowing nurses to prescribe safer supply and naturopaths are now trying to pres prescribe safer supply as well. Uh, it's, it's utterly bizarre. It is bizarre, but nonetheless, I have to have hope that uh, bizarre will one day not be part of our life here. Um, and uh, we'll look forward, I think, to your next piece. I appreciate you chatting with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Adam Zivo, who wrote this piece for the National Post, has uh, been the lead on this particular subject in kind of breaking up and breaking down the myths about it. I find it absolutely, I find it absurd, the, the, the path we're going down now anyway with safe supply. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I read Tom Korski, who we'll chat with at 1045, you know, when I read his latest, you know, where we've spent $820 million on safe supply and yet minimal, minimal impact through the research, like we're not helping, we're not, we're not changing things. Um, you know, the program's not working. Can't keep people on drugs for the rest of their lives. Can't keep fueling new generations of this, but that were, you know, BC, which will, I guess at one point, and as you heard Adam talking about, it is Ontario. It's happening here in Ontario, but are you good with this? I I'm part of the treatment crowd. I'd like to get people off drugs. I'd like to get the drugs out of the country. You know, fentanyl was not always here, but we do nothing to stop it. Now we're saying, well, <laughs> don't worry, we'll get it to the kids and uh, your parents won't find out. Kind of like naively thinking like, like just those who are addicted in, in, in foster homes. Uh, it's all who will use it. I just, I think they're blindly naive and I think it's crazy.